0: The following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. We have reached the time of year where, unfortunately for some people, sadness, depression, anxiety set in. Uh, sometimes for extended periods of time. The holidays are over. The Christmas decorations are down. Everything kind of is back to normal. Uh, Outside, uh, the weather, uh, it's very depressing. Here in the south, we go from high to low to high to low, hot to cold. Up in the north, everything is snow-covered. Trees are dead, no leaves on them. Grass is brown and dead. Everything is just yucky, and it it puts you in somewhat of a, A state of depression or sadness or mourning for some people. On the football scene, uh, those who are Dallas Cowboy fans, they have discovered that, once again, this is not their year. (laughs) They are in a state of depression and mourning. Uh, Even though they are still them boys, this is not their year. Once again, they fell in the first round of the playoffs. I've been waiting all week to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Saints didn't even go to the playoffs. I'm not going to go there, but you get my point. A lot of different things are going on. Uh, W-2s are coming in. You realize it's that time of year where I got to face them taxes. Uh, I know when the deadline is. I got to have them all in. Some people, uh, you got to pay through the nose. Some people, you may get an a, a income tax bonus at the end uh, at the beginning of the year. I just don't know how it's going to work out for you. Uh, A lot of different things are going on that that just bring people into a state of sadness and sorrow and depression. And we're going through the Beatitudes, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, and we'll just look at this one verse, and then we're going to go to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. We're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Basically, we're drawing out of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Last couple of weeks, I did an introduction to the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, what it was all about. What Jesus was doing is he preached the greatest sermon ever. And then last week we talked about the first beatitude, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And we described exactly what that meant. And some of you have been looking at this second beatitude, uh, blessed are those who mourn. And you've been wanting to know, how, what does Brother Tracy have to say about this? What is Jesus talking about when he gets to this beatitude? How can this help me? How can this comfort me? What can I draw out of it? Let me just say, by the end of this sermon, it's probably not going to mean exactly what it looks like on the surface. It's probably not going to give you exactly what you were looking for. Yes, the Bible does address sadness and mourning and depression and sorrow. But this beatitude, remember, you've got to look at this in context. What is Jesus talking about throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount? What is he talking about throughout the beatitudes? What is the common thread here? And as we get close to revival, revival's a week from today, I think it has a lot to do with that, and I think it's perfect timing. And as I began looking at this, I I, I thought, you know, how am I going to get a full sermon off of this? Let me just say, this is probably something we're going to have to go back and revisit at some point in time, because I'm not going to be able to uncover everything uh, that I found in my studies this past week. And so as you open your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll take a look at... What the Bible has to say about the source of comfort. I think this is what Jesus is getting at more than those who mourn. I think he's really pointing to what does really bring you true comfort. If you remember a couple of weeks ago when I introduced this sermon series, I told you that the word blessed in its context is going to mean many different things. Uh, Your view of blessing and my view of blessing is two totally different things. Some people consider a blessing to be something uh, materialistic. Uh, Some people consider a blessing to be totally spiritual, no material attachment to it whatsoever. But in this context, in your outline, there's two blank spots. A blessed person is, number one, comforted. And the next aspect we're going to look at throughout this sermon is This second line, a blessed person is forgiven. Look, let me tell you something. If you're here today and your sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, you're blessed. That's the biggest blessing that you'll ever receive in your life. More than a monetary blessing, more than a new car, more than a big house, knowing for sure that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, And that Jesus has gone to prepare a place just for you. And that one of these days he's coming back to receive you as his child. That is a bigger blessing that you'll get out of anything else. So knowing that your sins are forgiven. I think it's where Jesus is heading with this as we look at it. So Matthew chapter 5 verse 4. The text clearly says that blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Let me just say this, you cannot be comforted unless you've gone through a tough time. There's no way that you will experience true comfort unless you've been through some type of suffering, some type of pain, some type of heartache. Then and only then will you experience what true comfort is really about and why does god bring us through times like this why does god give us that comfort during our times of sorrow there is a purpose for that if you're a believer if you're a follower of jesus christ everything that happens in your life is for a specific purpose let's go to second corinthians chapter 1 and i'll show you what that purpose is second corinthians chapter 1 when you're there say amen all right. Beginning in verse 3, here's what the Apostle Paul has to say about comforting and its purpose. Notice he starts off with the word blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Notice that tribulation and comfort are connected together here. That we may be able to comfort those who are in Any trouble? If you want to know the reason and the purpose why you're going through what you're going through right now or what you've been through in the past, here it is right here. So that at some point in time, you can minister to another person who's going through the same or a similar situation to what you've experienced as well. Because you can't truly empathize, sympathize, and relate to a person in a situation unless you've truly being there yourself. Guys will never be able to sympathize with the ladies when they go through childbirth because that's something we'll never experience. There are certain things that you'll go through in your life as a believer. God brings you through that for the specific reason of you being able to help someone else somewhere along the way. He says that we we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble With the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Father God, we thank you so much for this day and for all you've done. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are the God of all comfort. I know, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit living within me brings comfort and peace like nothing else does. I know Lord God, that getting in your word at certain times of the day in certain times of my life, in certain situations that I go through, getting in your word alone will bring comfort like nothing else will. And I know, Lord God, that you've put us together here as a church and as a congregation so that we can comfort and draw strength from one another. But Lord God, there's something, there's something going on in our world in our community today that should break every one of our hearts. Knowing that there's someone out there that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, someone who's living a life of sin, who has yet repented, who has yet received you as Lord and Savior, that should break our heart and cause us to mourn and weep more than anything else we will ever experience. Because you, when you were here on this earth, you yourself wept over the sins of the people that you love so dearly. So I pray, Lord God, that you would open our hearts through this study, help us to see exactly what you want us to see, Lord God, and speak to our hearts like never before. And prepare us for revival, Lord God, as we weep over the sinful state of what's going on around us. So we just ask it in Jesus' name, amen. A blessed person is comforted. A blessed person is also forgiven. And so when we think about mourning, when we think about sorrow, when we think about grief, uh, we look at this, point number one. Mourning for us is typically associated with grief. The the many emotions that the body responds to uh, with physical reactions, they're just unlimited. I mean, if, if you stump your toe... You're going to be in pain. Your body is going to respond to that through some type of a reaction. You're either going to wince. Maybe you'll cry at that time. Maybe you'll say some words that you shouldn't be saying, but you are going to respond to that pain in some manner. Your body is just naturally... When you're embarrassed, when you're in a situation where maybe you said something you shouldn't have said, somebody is maybe bragging on you and you're a little bit shy and timid, you don't take praise too well, you get embarrassed, What happens? Maybe the tone of your voice changes. Maybe you start blushing. Your cheeks turn red. You just get embarrassed. Your body responds to that naturally, and there's nothing that you can do about it. When you're mad, somebody cuts you off in traffic, <laughs> you automatically respond to that. You may uh, Your voice, once again, changes levels. You may sound like a different person. You're shaking your fist. Veins will pop out. Your voice elevates. Your body just responds to that emotion. So in the 1992 film called A League of Their Own starring Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks was the head coach of a female baseball team. Guys, put yourself in his shoes. (laughs) How would you handle that? There's one scene that I think everybody here will be familiar with. This one player made a mistake on the field. The inning was over, and as the team came out, he approached this player and started scolding her saying, why did you make that decision? Don't you realize what you should have done? I mean, he just went on and on and on. And in the process of him chewing her out, what happened? She began to cry. And what's the famous phrase that came out of that? There's no crying in baseball. (laughs) In our lives, there is a time for weeping. And the Bible addresses that. There are times where we just can't control ourselves. And we weep for different reasons. Sometimes we cry when we're joyful about something. We see something, a beautiful sunrise or a sunset. We read something in a book. We see something in a movie, a different scene. Man, if somebody presented me with a hot, fresh, warm pan of crawfish cornbread, that would bring tears to my eyes. I'd be happy. But there are certain things that make you cry. It's not always associated with grief. And so human sadness and crying, they're both natural human emotions that every one of us experience at some point in time. And so they're also frequently addressed in the Bible. If you got your pens and your outlines out, I'm going to throw a few verses at you real quick. Ecclesiastes 3, 4, 4 says that there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Going all the way back to the book of Genesis Chapter 50, verse 10, we see that Joseph wept over the death of his father Jacob, not just for a few moments, but for seven days solid. In Acts chapter 20, verses 36 through 38, Paul was departing his friends in Ephesus. And here's what the Bible says. It says, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. So weeping and sorrow is addressed many, many different times in the Bible. One-third of the Psalms are laments. They're all about a brokenness, a mourning or a weeping. There's an entire book devoted Two, weeping, is called Lamentations the Lamentations of Jeremiah Jeremiah was broken over the people of Jerusalem and Israel as they were taken away to captivity in Babylon But he was weeping over their sin and their disobedience and there's the most popular verse of every Bible driller that has ever participated in Bible drills undoubtedly they have John 316 memorized and they should but the next one in line is only two words what is it john 11:35 jesus wept <laughs> while he was here on this earth he shared our sorrows and our griefs and he wept there's three specific times it's recorded in scripture where jesus wept this particular time in john 11:35 he was weeping over the death of his friend lazarus as he saw everyone else's sorrow he empathized with them by weeping over the death of his friend, Lazarus. So scripture never promises that we'll experience no pain or no sorrow. Psalm chapter 23 says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't bypass it, you don't avoid it, you don't get around it, you've got to go through it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me and at the end he says surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life so God understands our weakness he understands our emotion he understands that grief is something we must all deal with and here's the thing we all deal with grief differently no two sorrows are the same No two experiences are the same. We also tend to learn something valuable during those times of grief and mourning. We learn some some hard lessons, but we learn some very, very valuable lessons. In his book, The Power of Desperation, Michael Catt had this to say. He said, Sometimes we can see more through our tears than we can through a telescope. Isn't that interesting? I think there were some times specifically in his life that he was thinking about when he wrote that. He said, I learned more through my tears than I could see any other way. So when we come to a place in the Bible like Matthew chapter five, verse four, our natural tendency is to think about God comforting us during our times of sadness over some misfortune that has occurred. However, we need to remember that this must be viewed in context. When you're reading the Bible, when you're interpreting scripture, context is king. What is the whole passage saying? What is the whole chapter saying? What are the surrounding chapters saying? What is this guy talking about when the Lord inspired him to put those words on paper? You think about the other Beatitudes and what's going on, you've got to look at it in context, because when you take the text out of context, what are you left with? You're left with a con. (laughs) Remember that. So in its context, the Sermon on the Mount, what is Jesus talking about? He's teaching the people how to live right for God. And in the Beatitudes, when you look at them, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the ones who are meek those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted. There's a common thread going through there. It's not necessarily about someone who is going through a trying time or a heartbreak or a loss, but he's teaching people how to live right for God. So first thing you need to understand is that mourning for us is typically associated with grief. When you look at it through a biblical lens, Mourning in the Bible is typically associated with repentance. Mourning is typically associated with repentance. In scripture, mourning and sorrow are most often expressed through more than just a shedding of tears. The Bible gives several other illustrations of a person who is in mourning. They tear their clothes. They rent their clothes. They sit around in sackcloth and ashes. They put dust on their head. Maybe they go through a time of fasting because they're mourning over something. But all of those actions are associated with a brokenness over sin. James Rockin in his biblical illustrations book had this to say. He says, in the Bible, weeping is most frequently audible and thus involves more Than tears. It is an outright bawling or a culturally shaped expression of grief and sorrow. When is the last time that you have really bawled uncontrollably over a situation? More specifically, let me ask you this as we get ready for revival when is the last time you have actually bawled in tears over your sin? or maybe the sinful condition of the community around you. I think as we begin seeing just how broke our culture is, just seeing how broken this world is right now, how far our community and our loved ones are away from God, that should put us in a state of mourning like nothing else will. And when we are finally broken over our sin and the sin of others, that's when we'll see true revival. When is the last time you've really come to these altars and shed tears because you've broken God's heart? When is the last time you picked up one of these invitations and said, I'm gonna give this to this person because I know they're living in sin and you've cried over the situation that they're in and you've been broken because they just don't seem to wanna have anything to do with the church or with God? When we reach that point, I think we will truly, truly see revival take place here in our church and in our community. Jesus was a man of sorrows. Isaiah 53.5 states that the coming Messiah would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As I mentioned earlier, three times in scripture, Jesus wept. It's recorded that Jesus was found crying. John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Luke nineteen forty one says he also wept over Jerusalem because of how far they had drifted away from God. And the most interesting place where we see Jesus weeping, you can turn there if you want to, it's in the book of Hebrews, chapter five, verses seven through nine. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, who in the days of his flesh, talking about Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience. Get this, because this is important for us. Highlight it, underline it, put a star by it. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Is your suffering a way of God teaching you obedience? Is your suffering actually a way of God drawing you closer to him to realize that he is the one true source of your strength? And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him vehement cries, the writer of the book of Hebrews doesn't just say he was shedding a few tears, but he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears. You want to be more like Jesus? Learn how to be broken when you pray. Learn how to shed tears when you make supplications on behalf of other people. These, these pews right here, these altars, they should be soaking wet with our tears because we want to see people come to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want them here just to occupy a space. I don't want them just to come here and hear Brother Sam talk about what's going to happen in the last days. I want people here because I know that there are people in this community. I'm completely convinced that there are a lot of people here They're as far away from God as they can ever be. And they need to be drawn closer to him. When is the last time that you've really wept over your sin? And when is the last time you've really wept over the sins of this city? Psalm 119, 136, if you want to write it down. The psalmist probably David he said rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law Psalms 119 the longest chapter in the Bible it's all about God's word and David here says I see people not adhering to your law and it breaks my heart their obedience has caused rivers of tears to flow from my eyes so for us, mourning is typically associated with grief, something has happened to us personally. But in the Bible, mourning is typically associated with repentance. Most of the time, the emotion we express when people don't heed our warnings or accept our invitations to church is anger. However, this should generate a sorrow that moves us to tears. Psalms 126, verses five through six. I want you to meditate on this verse over the next week as we get ready for revival. Psalms 126, verses five through six. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his seeds with him. You want to see this sanctuary filled with people who want to worship God and draw closer to him? Go out and sow in tears. Be motivated by your brokenness over the condition of this city and the people you know. Mourning. Two different sources, two different things it's associated with. What about the flip side? What about the part of that Beatitude that gives us the blessing. I want to be comforted, Brother Tracy. You you haven't told me yet how I can find something that will comfort me during my time. We're, We're about to cover that. Two different sources of comfort as well. Point number three, comfort comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you are separated from God, if you are at enmity with God, you will never find peace You will never find joy and you will never find comfort. Comfort comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit. As we've talked about the definition of blessed in its context, when we look at this particular beatitude, one of the meanings of the word blessed is someone who is anticipating God's presence. He's here right now. He's here with us right now. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if your sins have been covered by the blood of the Lamb, and if you have committed your life to him right now, His Holy Spirit is living inside of you. First John four four says, Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Galatians two twenty, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now by faith, I live by what He has given to me. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and you repent of your sin and you find true forgiveness, Jesus says his Holy Spirit, the comforter, comes to live inside of you. One of the Greek words for the Holy Spirit is the word paraclete, which means a comforter. I'm not talking about the blanket that you put on top of your bed, the big, thick, warm, fuzzy blanket that you put on. Not, Not that type of a comforter. But I think the concept is pretty much the same. When you get under that comforter, man, you feel warm. You feel cozy. You feel secure. But the comforter I'm talking about is God's Holy Spirit. The word paraclete, parallel, something that comes along beside of a paralegal, someone who is coming alongside of you to help you. Jesus said, I have to leave, but I will send the comforter, the paraclete, and he will come along beside you to help you through this life. He will empower you. He will teach you all things. One of the things we studied in our Sunday school lesson this morning is how Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to have a boldness like he's never experienced before. The paraclete, the Holy Spirit gives us comfort. I'll fix it to give you a verse that'll give you comfort more than any other. Not only does God promise that he will send his Holy Spirit to comfort you during your time, but God says there's coming a day when he's gonna comfort you for all of eternity. Revelation 21, four. It says that one day, God will wipe away all of our tears. We'll be in a place where there'll be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Think about that for just a minute. God didn't say He was going to send someone else to do it, He didn't say He was going to have an angel do it. But listen at the very words of Revelation 21 4. Uh, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Can you just picture getting into heaven, maybe you're sad and sorrowful over something and God sees a tear in your eye. He could easily say to one of his angels, hey, go go take care of this. But the picture that John is creating here is that God himself, our heavenly father, is one of these days gonna reach out and wipe away all of the tears from our eyes. Doesn't that bring comfort to you? But for now, until that day, God said he is gonna comfort us by the power and the presence of the paraclete, the comforter, his Holy Spirit. But there must be times for us to experience sorrow, grief, and pain to really experience that comforter that only God can bring. As I was getting ready for this message, I ran across a book in my library library uh, Vance Havner, though I walked through the valley, uh, he writes about the time when he lost his wife to a debilitating disease. This old Kentucky preacher, he just shared his heart. Uh, anything you can get on on Vance Havner, I highly recommend it. Listen to what he says about the life and the comfort that he found during that time. And I quote: He says, "Thank God we can have the light of the world within and seeing." There's sunshine in my soul today. Even if it rains all week. <laughs> Sound familiar? We got flooded out this week, didn't we? He goes on to say, our Lord made his way through many a dark day of opposition and died with the skies turning black. But he arose and we commemorate the resurrection with sunrise services. For sunrise speaks of a new day. A fair weather Christianity will never carry us through such times as these. We are not always on the bright side, but we are on the right side. I love that phrase, isn't that neat? We're not always on the bright side, but thank Lord I'm on the right side. (laughs) And the right side will be the bright side ultimately, but not always immediately. For the joy set before him Our Lord endured the cross, despising the shame. It gets darker before it gets brighter. We're not always on the bright side, but we're on the right side. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. He says, it may be dark and cloudy, it may be gloomy right now, but I'm here to remind you that there's coming a day when our Heavenly Father He's gonna bring you to a place where there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, and he's gonna wipe away every tear from your eye. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer. Last point, point number four. The last place we find true comfort. Comfort comes when we find true forgiveness. Write down this verse, Psalm 32, one. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. If you want to reword this second beatitude, Matthew chapter five, verse four, how would you put it in your own words Comforted are those who repent over the sins for they shall be forgiven. That's one way you could put it. Whatever situation you're going through, what is God taking you through now? What is the purpose for your pain and your grief and your suffering right now? That's what this verse is all about. Because God is a personal God. He's not someone that cannot relate to your pain and your heartache and sorrow because for three years, He walked on this earth. He had parents. He had friends. He had those who betrayed him. He took a beating that none of us would be able to endure. And he went to the cross. So you're not dealing with a Savior who can't relate to your pain and your heartache and sorrow. He knows all about what you're going through. And he's able to comfort you during your time. But the main reason that Jesus came to this earth is for you to have forgiveness of your sins. As we prepare for revival this week, have you been broken over your own sin? Are you broken right now over the spiritual condition of our community? And I begin thinking about this. Perhaps the reason we don't witness more is because there's no burden to see other people get saved. I'm saved, I know it, I'm going to heaven, that's good enough for me. That's not the way it works. When Jesus gave the great commission, he says, you will receive power after this, the Holy Spirit is upon you and you'll be my witnesses into Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the othermost parts of the world. And you'll go into the world, you'll baptize, you'll make disciples, you'll teach them Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples. You don't just keep it to yourself. There's always action involved. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. And God has not given us the gift of salvation to keep to ourselves. Perhaps the reason this sanctuary hasn't been filled with people Seeking forgiveness is because we have not reached a level of brokenness over sin, both in our lives and the lives of others. There's another time when weeping is expressed in scripture. When a person who has not given their life to the Lord and accepted Jesus Christ as savior, when they step into eternity there is a very, very graphic description of what will be experienced. Jesus describes a time when there will be a separation of the righteous and the unrighteous. The righteous will be in the presence of God forever, where there will be no more sorrow or no more crying. However, the unrighteous, those who have rejected God and not accepted Jesus Christ, is their Lord and Savior. They will spend all of eternity bawling over their mistake. It says that there will be a place where they will be in torment forevermore, where the fire never goes out, where the worm dies not. And I quote, here's what Jesus says, I quote, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth right now in our hearts and in our minds knowing that there are literally hundreds of people around us headed in that direction that should bring sorrow to our hearts and motivate us to share our faith with as many as possible you see your goal is not to make it to heaven on your own your goal is to make it to heaven dragging along as many as you possibly can with you because you've been broken over their condition. You've tasted the grace of God. You've experienced his salvation. You've been set free. Your eternity is secure. But now you should want that for other people as well. And when we're burdened over our sin and grieved over the sins of others, that's when real revival begins. They who sow in tears will reap in joy. Every head bowed and every eye closed. A 100,000 souls a day are passing one by one away in Christless guilt and gloom. Without one ray of hope in sight, with future darkness, endless night, they're passing to their gloom. And we have the solution for that. His name is Jesus Christ. You may be here today. You may be struggling with the decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And if you've never stepped out in faith, ask God to forgive you of your sins. And dedicate yourself to being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to do that today. Don't leave this place uncertain of where you'll spend eternity. I guarantee you, you could leave this building. You can walk through those doors on your way out, knowing for sure that the spirit of the living God lives within you. And it all starts by saying yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. Yes, I believe that you rose on the third day. Yes, I believe that you're coming back again. And yes, I believe that your blood was shed for my sins. That's the first group of people that this invitation is for. Don't hesitate. As soon as the music starts, as soon as I say amen, come see me and let me know. Brother Tracy, I'm tired of struggling with it. I wanna know for sure. Where I'll spend eternity. The next group of people, this invitation is for. Maybe you're not burdened over the sins of others. There are plenty of invitations for revival here on these front pews. Maybe God has someone brought someone to your mind during the course of this sermon that you know is separated from God. They don't have a relationship. They're living in sin, and they need Jesus Christ. Come pray for that person. Allow God to penetrate your heart and burden you so much to where you can't sleep, you can't think of anything else other than sharing your faith with that person. So basically the invitation is for everyone. If we wanna see revival, if we really wanna see God move, if we really wanna see this sanctuary filled with people who are serious about it who God is, it starts right here and it starts right now. Because here's the thing. Jesus said he will come back and we don't know when that time is gonna be. It could be today. It could not be for another 100 years. We just don't know. But Jesus said in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, just like that, he'll return. And then our opportunity to share the gospel will be over with. And your opportunity to receive him as Lord and Savior will be over with as well. Don't let that happen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this message. Lord, as I studied for it, there was actual mourning, there was weeping, there was brokenness over my inconsistency, first of all, Lord. Things I know that I should have done throughout my life, things that I know I should be doing right now, Lord, as I begin to think about the people in this area, Morgan City, Patterson, Bayou Vista, Amelia, 45, maybe 50,000 people, I don't know. Lord, probably over 50% of those people, I would say most definitely over 50% of those people are headed to eternity in hell right now because they haven't accepted you as their Lord and Savior. God, burden our hearts to share the good news with those we meet each and every day. I guarantee you, by the end of the day, someone here is going to encounter someone that needs a relationship with Jesus. And they're just waiting for someone to explain to them how to take that first step. Your word clearly says, How shall they hear unless there's a preacher sent? So I pray, Lord God, that that message will go forth from this day forward. That next week when we have revival, Lord God, that every single pew here is filled with people that we've invited. We just thank you in advance for what you're going to do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.